Good morning. The first reading today is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 15, which you can find on page 999 of the Black Bibles in front of you. Matthew 28, verses 1 to 15, page 999. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, where they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Our second Bible reading for today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's on uh, page 1154, uh, and if you couldn't find it, in a book that looks like this, okay? It's there, uh, just in the seats in front of you. And this is from the Apostle Paul, speaking to a group of Christians who lived in Corinth. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's the Apostle Peter, and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, 
most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. This is God's word. And Bruce. Easter greeting. Christ is risen. Now, that's just the practice run for those who don't know it. Christ is risen. That sounds like a bit better, a bit more conviction. I like that. Now, I'm going to pray and we're going to start. And Dave, if you can give me a prayer book, that would be even better. Thank you, Andrew. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here this Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and I pray you'd fill our hearts with joy, peace, and believing, and that we would leave here transformed again by the knowledge that Christ is risen. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, today is Resurrection Sunday, and I don't think I'm exaggerating by saying, I think it is the most important day of the year. Now, I know I'm completely biased, I'm a Christian minister, but I objectively, and I know you'd say you really can't be too objective, I objectively think this is the greatest day in history. And today to celebrate is the most important remembrance event within our calendar year. Not just in terms of the Christian church, but really in terms of all history. Now, you think with me about events that shape our life, and you just think back in the last year, significant events that shape not just me personally, but you or all of us. And no doubt this one person uh, has caught the world's attention. Now, am I the only person who wakes up in the morning and checks my phone to think to see what has Donald done in the last 12 hours? <laughs> am I the only one? No. Has he dropped another bomb? I hope not. Um, and we need to pray, obviously, because as tensions rise uh, with North Korea, there's anxiety. But then you go back 10 years... And you think, what events have shaped us over the last 10 years? And I remember very clearly, uh, for a very, very short period in our marriage, we had a TV in our bedroom, and my wife decided that was not a good thing, and I have to agree with her. Um, but that six-month window when we had a TV in the bedroom, I remember watching TV at 11 o'clock at night on 9-11. And I remember seeing the plane literally broadcast live go into the World Trade Centre. And there's no doubt the world changed that day. And the advent of global terrorism began in a way it had never been before. It's an event that has shaped our world. You go back 100 years and you think of other events, and I couldn't help but think not just of the world wars, but in particular the day within the Second World War when the nuclear bomb dropped on Hiroshima. And you can divide history up now into pre-nuclear warfare and post-nuclear warfare. And we just pray that another bomb doesn't go off. But there's actually a greater day that has more significance for everyone through all of history. I want to proclaim to you this morning, and it's what we're celebrating here today. 
It's the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in that event, if it's true, and I absolutely believe it is true, not just our personal lives are changed, this world is changed. A whole new age has dawned for all people within history of all ages. It's the age of the new creation, it's the age of the resurrection. And we have three great events within the Christian calendar that we celebrate as Christians. The first is Christmas, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus. Incredibly profound event that you reflect on, God becoming one of us. The second is Good Friday as we, with great sobriety, sit and remember that Christ died in our place. But let me say, those two days mean nothing if this day doesn't happen. There actually is no incarnation. There is no substitute for sin. If Christ did not come out of the grave physically, bodily and defeat death. But friends, that's what we're here to do today, is we're actually celebrating and remembering that Christ did bodily, physically, come out of the grave and is alive today. And in so doing, triumphed over sin and conquered death once for all. And this morning I want us to look at the importance of this event of the resurrection. And there's three things I want us to look at. Firstly, the resurrection, it's what we stand on. Secondly, the resurrection, it's what saves us. And thirdly, the resurrection, it's what we believe in. You see, those words that we had read to us have echoed through history. He is not here. He is risen. And let's think about the significance of what that means for us here in the building today. Firstly, the importance of the resurrection, it's what we stand on. Now, have a look. If you've got your Bibles there, feel free to open up page 1155, 1154. But I've got the key verses on the screen if you want to look at the screen. And this chapter that we're looking at today, I normally work from, on Easter Sunday, the Gospel narratives. And we had Matthew's Gospel, which was a great story, um, retelling what happened. But today I'm doing something different. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, which is the great chapter in the New Testament about the resurrection. And Paul begins it this way. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. Now, Paul gets to the end of the letter and he's talked about a whole range of issues, incredibly detailed, very practical. But he finishes by speaking about what it is they base their faith upon. And he says it's the gospel and in this chapter, you see the extended meaning of that is it's actually the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to remind them, this is what you base your life on. It's what you stand upon. Now, just to help us think about people standing upon something, um, in 11 months' time, America will celebrate the death, or remember is probably a better way, the death of Martin Luther King Jr. He was executed in... 68. Now, why is he famous? It's because he stood for civil rights. And underneath that, if I can say, campaign for civil rights was his deep-held belief, which flowed from his Christian beliefs and understandings, that all men and women are created equal in the sight of God. 
And so in terms of how a society functions, there should be a sense of equality and civil rights for all, black and white. And his famous speech, which was given shortly before he died, I have a dream, still is read today. I still have a dream, he said. A dream deeply rooted in the American dream. One day this nation will rise up and live up to its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream. He stood for something. What is it that Christians stand for? We stand for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe and stand upon this reality that we believe it was real, it was physical, it was historical and it's foundational for us and so key is it to our understanding of our faith, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says this uh, in verse 14 as he goes on in the letter further from what we had read today. If Christ has not been raised, actually our preaching is useless. And not just our preaching is useless, actually so is your faith. In other words, it's a lot of codswallop if I can use that term. You see, the resurrection is the foundation that we stand upon as Christians. People often ask me as a minister, why should I believe? And they're really asking the question, why do you want me to become a Christian or why should I become a Christian? And it's a very good question to ask. You may be here this morning asking that very question yourself. Why should I believe and become a Christian? And I can give you a lot of different things to think about. I can give you philosophical reasons for why belief in God makes better sense of this world than no God. The atheistic position actually leads you to a very despairing worldview that takes no account of the sense of love and creativity and emotion and care that we experience in this world. But it's a philosophical discussion that you can have. I could talk to you about the joys of being part of a Christian community. Which when you find a good church, and I know people can have bad experiences, when you find a good church, the community is quite profound. But at the end of the day, I can give you lots of reasons, those included. That's not what I would want to talk to a person about. If I had one soundbite where a person said to me, just in one sentence, why should I become a Christian? I'd say because Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, everything changes. And it affects everything, including ourselves. Pastor Tim Keller from New York City wrote this. I've quoted it before. It's so good, I thought I'd quote it again. If Jesus rose from the dead then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or, like, whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. If I can speak personally, I'm here because Jesus rose from the dead. That's why I'm here. Because I believe the kingdom has come. I believe death has been defeated. I believe we now have a message of hope and life for the world. And that's what I want to proclaim. 
That's why I'm here. I stand on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our gospel. But secondly, it's not just what we stand on, it's what saves us. Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. And so this gospel is what we take our stand upon and we take our stand upon it because it's actually what saves us. Now the death and the resurrection of the Lord is what saves us from our sins and from the eternal judgment of God. And it's what brings us life and hope as we realise that there is a life beyond the grave where we will be transformed in resurrection bodies. Christianity is not a self-help or self-improvement project, though doubtless some have turned it into this. Christianity is not a morality project where our morality will save us. The gospel doesn't teach that, though doubtless many would like to believe that. And many do believe it. I often ask people, why do you think God will accept you into his heaven? What would you say if you met God on your final day and he asked you that question? And people scratch around in their head and say, well, I, I, I hope because I've lived a good enough life. And I understand why they're saying that. There's a sense of which they're not being proud, but there's a hope that God will somehow recognise what they've done and merit that towards them and that will be what allows them to enter in and yet nowhere will you find that in the New Testament. In fact, it says the opposite. We are not saved by our works, we're saved by faith through grace. Sorry, through, uh, by grace through faith. You see, our religious pedigree won't save us, our good name won't save us, our community work won't save us. We're saved by God's grace through faith in what Christ has done in the death and in his resurrection. And in Jesus' death, he defeated sin. In his resurrection, he rose from the grave and he defeated death. And when he rose from the grave, he brought a new age in. It's the age of resurrection. And that's what we look forward to beyond death. Death is just a doorway to resurrection, where we will have resurrected bodies, washed clean of our sin, and remade in perfection. Let me illustrate this with a story of a girl who I found incredibly heroic in my ministry. Her name is Jenny Lee. I first met her at a wedding that I took. And you couldn't miss Jenny as she came in in the wheelchair. She had what is technically called a muscular dystrophy. She'd experienced since three years of age. As she grew up through school, her muscles continued to wither. She would have to sit on the floor. She couldn't walk before she was permanently in a wheelchair. When I met her, she was only able to use a wheelchair with a little remote stick. Her whole body was wizened. She was married. It was quite an incredible act. And they were struggling and she came and she actually found salvation in Jesus Christ. She realised that's what she had turned her back on and what she needed. And she needed to have her sins forgiven. But what was so profound about her salvation was, and I remember talking to her about this, the hope of the resurrection and what Jesus rising from the dead offered 
It was not just her forgiveness of sins, it was the sense of which she would be released from the suffering that she currently experienced and of which she only ever knew in her life. Sadly, she passed away at the age of about 28 and went to be with the Lord. But you see, this is the salvation we're talking about. A person's sins wiped clean, as they were with Jenny, and the hope of a restoration and resurrection in the new age to come. She looked forward to it. The resurrection is what we stand on. It's what saves us. And the resurrection says that Good Friday worked. If Jesus was victorious over sin at the cross, he triumphs as he walks out that grave. And sin has been finally defeated and death is no more. Sin entered the world through Adam and death came as a result. Sin was conquered on the cross by Christ and death was overcome as he was raised on the third day. And you see, this is what we believe in. And that's what Paul is saying here in this letter where it was debated about did the resurrection really take place, what was it like, etc., etc. And he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the Twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. And then I'll jump to the end of the reading in verse 11. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. The gospel and the resurrection is what we take our stand on. It's what saves us. And it's what we believe in. We actually believe that Jesus bodily, physically rose from the dead. And I just want to make a number of points because I want you to leave here strengthened in your belief or starting to believe in this great event and receiving the risen Christ by his spirit into your life. And there's no doubt, as one historian wrote, Tom Wright, Easter and the resurrection is a strange story to believe. It is a strange story. And I'm happy to admit that. There is no other story in the world where someone has come back never to die again. It is a unique story. Why do we believe it? I'm going to give you five reasons. The first is this, it's a very early Christian belief. Uh, one of the things that cynics will say and sceptics will say is this is a belief that arose a couple of hundred years later. The church wanting to, in a sense, perpetuate itself, keep the memory of Jesus alive, invented the story of the resurrection. It's often propagated that way. Uh, let me just say that is bullocks, if I can be polite. You could use other words, I probably shouldn't use them here. That section that we just saw, and if you've got there your Bibles open, it's worth having a look at from verse 3 to 7. That does not date 200, 300 AD, the inception of it. It dates back to 35 AD. That's just a historical reality. How do we know that? Paul, who writes this letter, 
is writing to the Corinthians when he's in Ephesus. Paul is a well-known historical figure. You can date the Corinthian letter, 55 AD roughly, when he's in Ephesus. He was in Corinth to actually deliver that message personally. 51 AD, now we know that because the New Testament period of the early church is dated by the governor of Corinth and when he was there and for many years historians said we don't know about this guy being here in Corinth, Gallio, we know he was there, we know he was there, he was never there in Corinth until they discovered an inscription which placed him in Corinth for a period of just nine months as an acting governor and the rest of the dates actually work off that one date. He was there just for nine months in 51 AD. That's when Paul was there and he preached to them. Now, have a look at what it says there, verse 3. He says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, he's saying, what I gave to you back then when I preached, this is in his letter in 55, so when I was there in 51, I gave you the gospel, wasn't my gospel. It was actually something I received. It's not my message, I didn't make it up. Well, when did Paul get it? Paul would have received it from the apostles. You see, when was he with the apostles? Actually, you've got to go way back to 35 AD. Jesus crucified, we know historically, 33 AD. At the latest, Paul gets it, 35 AD. And so within two years of this event, the resurrection... Already they have formulated what we would call today a creed so that everyone could know the key concepts and events of the gospel. So you'd memorise it. Now, I know you're probably not familiar with Greek. I do a little bit of Greek. It's laid out like a creed. And there's a particular word there, that, which I'll just show you. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died that he was buried, that he was raised, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then to these, then to those. And you see, it was actually a creed they memorised. And the apostles, we understand, would have written this down for the church so that you could remember, this is what we stand on. This is our gospel. And Paul says, what I received from the apostles, I now give to you. And it's what I'm giving to you. You see, the Christian faith and the belief that Jesus rose from the dead was alive and well within just two years of the event. That's the first thing to take note of. Uh, second is this. It's based upon an empty tomb. And I say this every year. It's worth repeating it. Um, serious historians, not just people who've got an axe to grind, if I can put it that way, people who've got kind of a, a disinterest in the Christian faith and questions of God, who are just historians, both Christians and non-Christians alike, all agree on this fact. The tomb, historically, was empty. It's an agreed historical fact amongst academic, serious historians. Because there's no other way to explain the records. No bones have ever been found. No places of worship in remembrance of a dead martyr. Nothing. There is no record of tombs with bones. There is just an empty tomb. 
is what the record of history has. Now, that in itself does not establish the resurrection, but it's a very key thing to note. There are no bones. There is no body. There was no remembrance of a dead saviour, which would have happened. Thirdly, it's followed by resurrection appearances. And that's what Paul is at pains to say in this passage. Friends, he said he was buried, he died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day, all according to the scriptures. And then he appeared. Who did he appear to? Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, to more than 500, then to the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. He met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus about a year later. You see, Jesus' tomb was empty and then he was witnessed alive. And when you go through the Gospels and you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and you look at the book of Acts and you look here at Corinth and you put it all together, this is what you come up with kind of as a rough picture of all the resurrection appearances listed in the New Testament. First he goes to Mary, then he goes to some of the women in Jerusalem. That's followed by Simon or Peter, same person, just two names, listed in Luke, also here in Corinthians, then to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And so at the end of that first day, if you know Luke's gospel, two disciples walk with him and they actually discover it's Jesus. It's a famous journey on the road to Emmaus. And they have dinner with him and a great discussion and then Jesus leaves. Then he meets the ten apostles, Judas gone, Thomas wasn't there. A week later he comes back and meets Thomas with the other ten, so there's eleven on this occasion. Then they go to Galilee. Now, why do they go to Galilee? Well, he was not kind of the flavour of the month in Jerusalem. We already know that. They killed him once. Uh, He wasn't about to let that happen a second time. So he goes back up north where he had done a lot of his ministry. And that is where we would understand the 500 come in along with an encounter with seven of the disciples. John's Gospel records where they're fishing. He comes and they have fish and chips. Do you remember that one? He goes back to Jerusalem. Why? Because it is the city of God. And there at the Mount of Olives, he meets again with the apostles before he ascends to heaven. And the disciples go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. His appearances are not a one-off. It's not like John, who just loved him, just thought, oh gee, I think I saw him. People in that day and age knew what an apparition or a dream was. And all the records say, no, we saw him, we touched him, we ate with him. He was alive. And it's followed by church history. How do you know that this strange story of a resurrected man that the church proclaims as the Son of God is true? Well, further proof is evidenced in the witness of history in two ways. Let me give you an illustration. In nine days' time, we've got Anzac Day. Now, it's a special day for Australia for obvious reasons. Because on 1916, we had the first Anzac Day, one year after the Gallipoli landings. And just one year after the event, they stopped to remember the fallen. Horrific campaign. Now, these are very precious to me. They're falling apart. They're my grandfather's. And I discovered two years ago he was an Anzac who fought at Gallipoli. Uh, I never knew that because he was in the Light Horse Brigade. 
they were called up as the no-horse brigade as reinforcements in Gallipoli. He was wounded. I discovered this morning that this is a meritorious service medal awarded for merit in battle. He recovered in London in hospital. I've got his service record at home. And he fought one of the last campaigns for the Light Horse Brigade in Palestine. He was a translator for the general. He went on to become the headmaster of Manly Boys High. There's a little bit of history for you. Alec Fraser. Why do I show you that? I'll be here in Manly in nine days' time. I'll have the medals there in remembrance and respect. My other grandfather served in France. I have great uncles who are buried in France. We don't celebrate Anzac Day because we made a story up, do we? Now we stop and remember real people who gave their lives. You see, you've got to have some event to actually begin the remembrance. And there is no other way to explain the church historically if there is no event called the resurrection. It's just not possible. There is no other way historically to explain what has taken place in the 20 centuries following. You see, there would be no church if there was no resurrection. Tom Wright, he's a New Testament historian, he's also a bishop, he wrote this. I and others have studied quite extensively all the alternative explanations, ancient and modern, for the rise of the early church and the shape of its belief. Far and away the best historical explanation is that Jesus of Nazareth, having been thoroughly dead and buried, really was raised to life on the third day with a renewed body, not a mere resuscitated corpse, as people sometimes dismissively say. And just one small historical detail on the evidence of the church pointing to the resurrection. How on earth do you explain Christians worshipping on Sunday? Think about it. Because you see, if they were just Jews who were continuing in their Judaism, they would have stayed on Saturday. But we move to Sunday because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And lastly, you have to explain the production of the New Testament somehow. And you might not have thought about this, but you see, we actually would not have any of this at all, any, if there was no resurrection. Because you see, what happened was, there was not a book to start with. There was a message. And the message was very simple. And from the very first day that the Holy Spirit came upon them to the last day, the church has proclaimed what? He is risen. And they went out and said, you killed him, but God rose him. And that message is the gospel. And it went out and they were announcing that he is now Lord and King. Now, because it was such an important message, they wrote the message down. The message was written and copied and circulated. And finally, we have what we call the scriptures. And you see, when you look at the 27 books of the New Testament, what are they? Four books record the events of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Book of Acts records the movement of the resurrection gospel. The letters then explain the significance of the death and the resurrection. And the last book, Revelation, good luck reading it, it tells you the implication of the resurrection, that there is a new creation coming. No resurrection, no Bible. You see, this is what we believe and that's what Paul says. 
Whether then it's I or they, or you could say whether it's me. This is what we preach and this is what I believed. And I was thinking about what's the application for us today. It's simply but profoundly to actually believe this. Because you see, what it means is Jesus is the ruler of the world. And that we and all people need to live our lives in reference to him as our king and saviour. And we need to bow our knee before him as the risen saviour and king of the world who offers everyone the hope of eternal life and salvation if we'll turn back to him now. When we die, it's too late. The call of the gospel is to come to Christ now. And I would say, and I know there's many here, may your hearts be filled with joy this day. May they be filled with assurance. May they be filled with peace. May they be filled with hope and optimism. Because we are people who know the resurrected Christ and we know the spirit of the resurrected Christ making us alive in him and it's wonderful. But if you're not sure about that, if you've never received him as your risen king, I want to invite you today to come to him because he would say to you, come, I've risen, I've died in your place, I've defeated death and I'm calling you to come and receive life in my name and to be filled by my spirit. That's what we need to do this Easter, renew our belief in the risen Christ. You see, what is it that you actually are standing your life upon? Is it your good name? Is it your good life? Is it your reputation? Is it your accomplishments? Friends, the only thing that we can stand on that will last eternity is upon the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think will save you? The only person who can save you is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what you're believing? Let us pray. On the screen, I've got a prayer for those who would like to respond to the one who is risen. And if this day you want to renew your faith or come to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him for the first time as your risen king, I want to invite you to pray this with me on the screen. Let's just be quiet for a moment. And then if you'd like to join me in this prayer, please join me. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, today I believe you rose bodily from the dead. I come to you in faith. I receive you as Lord. Forgive me my sins. Take control of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.